Chronicles chapter number 7. 2 Chronicles chapter number 7. It's a well-known passage. We know this passage well. We've heard many a preacher, many a politician even use this. I remember Pence quoted this passage. He left one key thing out, which we'll look at tonight as well. But this passage gets mentioned often when it comes to revival. When it comes to a nation getting right with God. You see, what we need in America today, we don't need more money given to us. We don't need more laws made. And we don't, it doesn't even, at the end of the day, really at the end of the day, matter who gets elected into office next. Now, you should vote and vote biblically, and I, I talk about that enough. But you've got to realize something. What this country needs today, we need a revival. There have been, in the history of America and in our time, there have been a couple great awakenings that have taken place. And revivals breaking out where people got saved and God did great things. And I believe that God still wants to do things today. But what hinders revival? What hinders us from being revived? Now, if this world were perfect and if we were perfect we would never have need for revival we would always be right where we should be the only problem is none of us stay that way because you know it's true there's one day where you get up and you want to read your bible and you feel so in touch with god and then later on that same day or the next day you're like um where did that go it's gone that's part of human nature the way that we are we need to be revived the bible talks about reviving us again wilt thou revive us again the song in our hymnal there revive us again we need that we need a stirring because you and i each know there comes times in our lives where we grow cold where coming to church is not as exciting as it once was now let me just help you with that one in all reality, I don't really change that much. I've changed on some things, but my preaching hasn't changed a whole lot. And sometimes you might say, well, your preaching is really good sometimes, and other times, oh, pastor, you just go through these really big, dry spells. No, it's never been really good anywhere in that time. You just, it depends on how spiritual you are, how, well, how you receive it. Because I'll tell you, it's never really good, but there are times that you might think it's good because the Spirit's really working in you, and other times the Spirit's not. We need revival today. We need God's working in our lives. And so we look at this passage today. I'm going to break it down and help you out with it a little bit, and then we will see where we go over the next few minutes. Second Chronicles chapter number 7, verse number 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven... And will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If we put this passage in context, we see that God has placed his filling, his presence on Solomon's temple. 
And what a sight that pride would have been to behold and to see the glory of God fill Solomon's temple that day. And as the temple was filled, God tells Solomon, I want you to realize some things. There could be a time where you have no rain, and it could be judgment from me. There could be times where locusts were going to come, or pestilence come, and that is part of my judgment when you get away. Let me help you think of some things today. You look in California, and we have a drought today. Do you ever think that our actions today could be the reason why we have a drought? It could be God's judgment on us, because God does judge in those ways. I'm not saying it directly is, but I'm not saying it's not either. But what Solomon, what God tells Solomon is, so you got to remember, this was written to the Jews and to Solomon. When you get away from me, this is how to get me to hear again. And he says there in verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. As we look at that verse there, we see that God tells Solomon there could be times where famine's going to come. There could be times where the rain stops and droughts come. My hand of judgment could be on you. But if you want to do something about it, if you want to get back to me, this is what you and the people need to do. You need to humble yourselves. You need to pray. You need to seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive your sins, and heal your lands. Now, I've heard many a preacher say that this promise here is just for America, just like anyone else. If we take the Bible in context, this was given to Israel. But may I just say, the promise that is here is for God's people. So if we will do these things, God could heal our land today. God can do those things today. And normally, if I would preach through this passage, and it's been a while, what I would do is I would say, well, we need to pray. We need to humble ourselves. We need to seek God's face. We need to turn from our wicked ways. Those are the things we need to do to get revival in our land. Well, today I'm not going to do it that way. Today I'm going to preach this passage in the opposite way. Hey, do you not want revival? If you don't want revival, if you want to hinder revival and God working today in our children and our grandchildren, there are several things that you should keep doing in your life that you might be doing right now. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As we look at this passage here, there's a lot mentioned. You notice it begins, if my people. It doesn't say the world's crowd doesn't say the politicians. God judges a people, and God brings punishment on a people based on his people and what his people do. Do you punish someone else's children when they do wrong? Well, some of you might. You're, you probably shouldn't. You probably should just worry about your own children, but every once in a while, you know, whatever the case may be. But the Bible tells us whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. 
And there are times that God will chasten us to get us back to him. Did you ever think that high gas prices might be a result of God's people not giving to God like they should? Ooh, we don't ever like talking in that realm, do we? But it could be. Because the majority of God's people don't tithe and give to God. So the Bible talks about it's like putting your money in a bag of holes. And your money just keeps disappearing and disappearing because you don't do what is right. I am not saying that's what's happening. I'm just throwing out could be. We look at our world today. We look at everything around us. We see this passage. I was on Twitter last night, and I get on Twitter every once in a while. I don't really tweet. I just read people's tweets that they do. And um, Greg Laurie, he pastors Harvest here in Riverside. He said this last night. He said, research shows that 95% of Christians have never led another person to Christ. 95%. Uh, now think with me for a minute. Have you ever led someone to Jesus? And I hope a lot of us in the room could say yes. If you haven't, you're missing out on one of the greatest blessings in all the world. There is nothing like showing someone the truth. Now listen to this. Only 2% of churchgoers have invited an unchurched person to church in the past year. When's the last time you invited someone that doesn't go to church to church? He says 2%. I don't know where he gets his numbers from. But there... If, if these are true, there's a big problem. If 95% of Christians have never led someone to the Lord, and only 2% in the past year have even invited anybody to church, and 59% of Christians say they seldom or never share their faith with others. 59%. When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? Are you part of that 59%? We need revival today. You might look and say, well, there's nothing wrong with everything in this world today. Everything's fine. The state of the church is fine. My Christianity's fine. If that's you, then keep living the way you're living. And in fact, I'm going to talk more about you here in a minute. If you want to hinder revival, this is the way to live. Number one, as we dive in, you need pride. Hey, if you want things not to get better, just have pride. The Bible says that if you want God's blessing, you want God to move and to heal a land, you must humble yourselves, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? So if you don't want that to happen, just be full of pride. Didn't we just finish three days ago Pride Month? There's a problem with pride. We get carried away. Pride has never done anything good for any person at any time, anywhere in the world. Do you realize that tonight? Pride got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. Pride is one of the things that messed up Adam and Eve and why they ate the fruit in the garden. Each of us, there's pride in our lives. And so tonight, if we don't want God's blessing and we don't want God's help, number one, it starts by being prideful. The word pride in the Old Testament means to rise or to swell up. It refers to a rising of the waves of the sea. It speaks of men thinking more of themselves 
and their abilities than what they think about God. Think about it this way. Pride says, I don't need God. I can make it on my own. I know what's best. I can call my own shots. Now, I know we look and we say, well, pastor, I, I'm not that way at all. The modern church today is full of pride. We live in a day where the Laodicean church is right before our very eyes. Revelation chapter number 3. Do we have some verses for Revelation chapter 3? I want you to take your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 3. I don't have an outline with me, so I don't know what's all in there. So Revelation chapter 3. And look with me there. This describes the modern church member today and the modern church today. Revelation chapter 3. Look down at verse number 14. It says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert hot or cold. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, or hot nor cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Doesn't that sound like Christianity today? No one's on fire for God, and no one's exactly cold for God. We just kind of want to be in the middle and just be accepted everywhere. Look at what it says. Verse 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. That's how the average Christian looks at their life today. I'm good. My family's good. My life's good. Everything's good. And look at what Jesus says here. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. God's view is quite a bit different than what man's view is. And man's view, and I feel in our modern church today, we're eaten up with pride because we've adopted this mentality. We learn how to function as a church, and we have what we call church, but we don't really need the Spirit of God in this place. We can have a church service without God's power. We know how to do it. We could have a vacation Bible school in a week from now. We don't really need God's help. We could put a sign out on the street. We could put an ad up on Facebook. We could have a bunch of kids come. We really can do it all on our own. We're good. We don't need God. When in all reality, without God working, without the moving of the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. But we get very comfortable and think, we can do this. We got a grip on this. We can handle what's going on. But at the end of the day, we can't. But it's because of the pride we say in ourselves, we're good. We, we got it all under control. We're fine. When in reality, we're far from fine. See, tonight, if you want to hinder revival, just be proud. Man, the early church, we talk about the early church on S Sunday nights. We normally talk about them in the book of Acts. They prayed and prayed and prayed for God's power, and the Spirit of God did great things. We have a lot of pow big, powerless churches today. Because we don't need God's help. We can do it on our own. So, Pastor, we need God's help. Then if I had a prayer meeting leading up to Vacation Bible School, would you show up for it? How much time would you spend praying for Vacation Bible School next week? How much time do you spend praying for church this morning? You know, we had guests this morning. When was the last time you prayed for the guests that come that they would hear the gospel and be open to the gospel? No, we get too comfortable. We don't need God. We can do it on our own. And we get ourselves in trouble. Pride is a terrible thing. And in fact, the Bible tells us that God hates pride. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter number 6, and verse number 16, it says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto them. The very first one, a proud look. A 
lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. God hates pride. God can't stand pride. So why can't God stand pride? Because pride says that we don't need him. And I think we looked at this morning, we need God. For some, we need him for everything. God hates pride. There's other passages we could look at. Proverbs 8, verse number 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, to hate pride and arrogancy, and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 11, verse number 2, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, verse number 5, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he should not be unpunished. And then verse 18 and 19 of that same chapter, it continues on about pride. You might say, oh, pastor, I don't have a pride problem. I'm good. That's where we get ourselves in trouble. Because pride can rear its ugly head at any time. Sometimes, pastor, I had someone come up to me a while back, pastor, I am so, I'm so humble right now, I'm doing so good. And they were being sincere in that. If you are boasting about your humbleness, there is no humbleness there. And they were very sincere. They did, I don't think they meant it to come out the way that they did. And if they're here right now and I'm telling this, that no one knows it was you, so just don't look, get that look off your face and you'll be fine. It's okay. I don't use names. There's a lot of people in this church. A lot of people talk to me often. But everyone, no one knows. You're okay. You're safe. Pride. How can you tell if you have a pride problem? I wrote some things down on your notes there tonight. Number one, how can you tell if you've got a pride problem? Pride refuses to listen. It always interrupts others. Pride thinks you know what's best, and you've got all the answers in life. Pride doesn't listen. It interrupts others. How about this one? Number two, pride likes to talk about itself all the time. Well, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done that. Pride, 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 pride. Number three, pride has an intense desire to be noticed. Pride wants to be noticed. Pride wants to make a lot out of self. Next, number four, pride believes that it deserves everything it gets. I deserve this. No, Christian, the only thing you deserve tonight is hell. That's the only thing you and I deserve. And God's been so gracious to us. But pride says, I deserve this. We live in a country today where everyone's like, I deserve this. You don't deserve those. Everyone has the right to free health care. Can you show me where that's supposed to be? Do you real and you know, talk about the government running health care. Do you want and health care is already a mess. How many of you, your insurance company is a mess that you deal with? How would you like it to be just like the DMV? No, thank you. Anything, how about the post office? It's amazing everything the government runs, how well it runs, right? I deserve this. You don't. Pride says you do. Number five, pride isn't thankful. That's why it's so important that we teach our children to say thank you and to be gracious and thankful for the things that are given to us. How about this one, number six, pride can't be corrected. How many times have I seen this one? It could be a kid in the Christian school. It could be someone else. And 
just trying to help point out an error. I, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, obviously you did, otherwise you wouldn't be in the principal's office. That's the way it goes. If you would just change, I, I didn't do anything. Pride can't be corrected. There are a lot of people today that cannot be corrected, and that's pride. We talk about the hindrances to revival. If you don't want God to bless, and you don't want God's blessing today, just be prideful. Continue there. Number seven, pride doesn't like to follow instructions. What pride says is, my way is better. And at the end of the day, you know what? Your way might be better. But if you have a boss or you have someone over you in something and they tell you how to do something, do it the way they tell you to do it. Hey, kids, your parents tell you how to do something a certain way, and I'll do it my way. That's pride. God doesn't like that. Pride doesn't like to follow instructions. Let's go on to number eight. Pride exalts itself in the presence of others. It brags. Ever been around somebody that all they do is just brag about the stuff that they've done? Let another man praise thee and not thine own lips. Well, I did this today. Sometimes you get on Facebook and I did this and I did this. I don't stop. Here, you want a pat on the back? I'll give you a little pat on the back. If that helps you out a little bit. But that's what pride does. Number nine. Pride criticizes and tries to make itself look better by putting others down. That's what pride does. A lot of times I tell people this, so-and-so hurt my feelings, they just were very mean to me. Sometimes people do those things because they're jealous of you. And the pride in them, they criticize you because they want to look better than you. And by opening your mouth, you're not making yourself look better, you're showing your pride. And it doesn't help anything. Number 10, pride thinks of its own needs first. Pride puts itself first. So we look here and we see these things. Pride, pride, pride. How do we, how do we not get God's blessing? Be prideful. Think you got it all figured out. You don't need God's help. Everything's fine. There was one time that Muhammad Ali was on a plane. And on that plane, he was um, standing up in the aisle talking and laughing and entertaining the passengers. And finally, the stewardess came back to him and said, Mr. Ali, you have to take a seat and fasten your seatbelt because the plane is about to take off. And Muhammad Ali looked at her with a snarl and said, Honey, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She looked at him and said, Yeah, Superman don't need a plane either. Now sit down and buckle up. Pride is a problem. But you see, and I believe this is a point, letter A or letter B, letter B, God calls his people to be humble. The Bible says if we will humble ourselves, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. That phrase, humble themselves, it literally means to bend the knee, to bring down, to place self under another. Pride will not allow the prideful person to bow their knee before God. And God desires His people to take whatever steps are necessary to be under His leadership. He wants us to know that we cannot do things on our own, that we need Him and we need to be humble. He wants us to know that we're dependent on Him. He wants us to bend the knee to His authority. We need to take the steps. And as we were there just a minute ago, there in Revelation chapter number 3, what did Jesus tell those people there? How, how could they fix their problem? 
They thought they're rich and things were great. And he says, you're wretched, you're blind, you're poor, all these things. How do you fix the problem? Look at the end of verse 7 and verse 8 of where we were. It says, in verse 17 and 18, it says, I, buy, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. He's like, I want you to humble yourself and see who you truly are. God calls his people to humility. If we were to go to the book of Jonah and we look at Nineveh, that great city, that city was going to be destroyed and God sent Noah to, not Noah, he sent Jonah to preach to them. Noah, Jonah, name sounds close, right? They're in the Bible, they're both in there, right? Noah's the boat and Jonah's the city. And, uh, and the whale. The people of Nineveh humbled themselves before God. If we want revival today, there's got to come a point where we humble ourselves before God. But hey, if we think things are good and we don't want things getting any better, just keep your pride. Don't change it. Number one, we see today that pride is the problem. And if you want, don't want things to get better, just keep your pride. Number two, number two, a lack of prayer. A lack of prayer. Scripture tells us that my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. Hey, if you think things are fine and you don't want to help bring revival to this land and get God's blessing on this land, then keep not praying. Let me ask you a question without you answering it out loud. Sometimes people think they've got to answer the questions out loud. Don't answer these out loud. Just answer them in your head. I don't want you to incriminate yourself. How much did you pray this last week? There are 24 hours in a day, right? And there's been seven days since last Sunday. So 24 times 3 is 72. 144, you add... 24 more, you got 168 hours in a week. Did you spend one hour in the entire week in prayer? One hour. Add up all your time that you prayed throughout the week. If you want to include the five second prayers before your meals, you can include that too. Did you pray one hour in the last week? Let's say, you know, we talk, about, we talk about a tithe, a tenth. Let's just say we try to give God 10% of our time in prayer and Bible study. Add up your time in the Bible and your time in prayer. If you were to give God a tenth of that, let's just say you were going to give him a tenth, 168 hours, you'd be giving him 16.8 hours in a week. That's 10%. Did you spend in one week 16 hours praying and reading your Bible? but you watched seven baseball games. Some people do that. I think I watched two or three this week. I listen to them sometimes, too. The angels are really bad right now. And, and um, Eddie, let's not pay attention to Louie for a second. Did the Padres win? Thank you, Lord. Man. And do you know, hey, Louie, let, let's be honest here for a second. You sent me a text this afternoon that said the Dodgers are going to sweep the Padres. I didn't say a thing. And you see how your pride ruined your team. We see how pride works right there. 
And typical Dodger fan right there. Typical Dodger fan. That's how they work. And that's okay. And uh, he's still first place. See, you knew a comment like that was going to come. He knew it was coming. Still first place. Still first place. And they are in first place like every year. And they've won one, one championship in all those years that they've been in first place these past several years. Oh, but technically two because they got cheated out of one. I forgot about that. Padres have won zero and the Angels have won one. I know. I know. It's okay. I'm a true fan. It does, it's about my team. I will cheer for my team if they never win. I've been a Charger fan my whole life. It's the way it goes. It's life, you know? For a while, I had the Lakers. That was good. That's not very good now either. I don't have, I don't have any good teams right now. I'm th- I just need to be done with sports. Give it all up. But okay, let's go to basketball season. When's basketball season? You could spend eight to ten hours a week on four or five games. Could you spend eight hours in a week in prayer and Bible reading with the Lord? If you want God's blessing, one of the ways to hinder God's blessing is a lack of prayer. How much did you pray this last week? I don't think there's one Christian in this room who would say, I really don't want God's blessing and I don't want God to bless our country. I, want, I think everyone would say we want revival, we want things to get better. But then how much time do you spend in your prayer closet? A lack of prayer. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Prayer. The people of God are challenged to pray. Because do you know what prayerlessness says? God, I really don't need you. When do we go to prayer? When we have a huge need. When something bad happens. Why can't we go to prayer before that time? And then even at that, is your first instinct when you hear bad news somewhere to go to prayer? Or do you call everyone else under the sun and go to prayer last? If we want revival, we need to pray. If you're fine with living life the way it is and going the way that it's going, then continue to not pray. The fact is we cannot, you think about this, you, prayer brings revival. The great awakenings that we've had were a result of prayer meetings where they've started. What prayer says is, God, I can't, but you can. We need God. Prayer acknowledges God and our dependence on Him. Prayer changes things. The Bible tells us in James 4, verse 2 and 3, Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, because ye ask not. He ask not and receive not because he ask amiss that it may consume it upon your lusts. Sometimes we ask, but then when we ask, we ask for what we want instead of what God wants for the situation. We've gotten to the point to where we don't pray and wait on God to answer our prayers. D.L. Moody was a famous evangelist or preacher from Chicago. He went on vacation to England and he wasn't planning to do any preaching. Isn't that, that's how it would be, right? A preacher goes on vacation, he wants to get away from preaching, right? Just to get a break. So funny. I haven't, I haven't missed a Sunday in three and a half years. Now, I've been here and there's been other people that have spoken, but in the, in the beginning of August, there's going to be a Sunday where I'm going to be gone, and Jay's coming and he'll be here. And I was just asked this last week to preach at a church while I'm on vacation. And of course, I'm going to do it. And uh, But 
you know, when you go on vacation, you're like, there could be a break for a week, but now I got to prepare another message. But I'll just uh, take one that I preached to you and see how it goes and give it to them as well. Maybe not this one because I'm not getting a very good response out of this one. So maybe I'll not use this one again. But anyways, he wasn't planning on preaching. He was on kind of what a, a sabbatical thing. But he met a preacher there who said, Mr. Moody, you're so well known. Would you come speak at our church? So he went to preach the next Sunday. That afternoon, Moody wrote in his journal that it was the deadest crowd he'd ever seen. And that the only thing worse than preaching to those people was that he had promised to go back and preach to them again that night. When he went back that night and about halfway through the sermon, something happened. The people started to come to life and he felt compelled to ask if anyone would like to become a Christian. And a lot of people stood up. He didn't know what to do, so he said, maybe you don't understand why I'm asking. So when we are dismissed, if you want to become a Christian, come over to this little room and meet with me. When the service was over, the room was packed. And Moody said to the minister, what does this mean? He said, I don't know, but I think you need to preach again tomorrow night. The next day, Moody got on a train and went to Ireland to, to continue his vacation. But when he got off the train, there was a, a memo that said, come back, revival's broken out. So Moody got back on the train, went back to that church and preached 10 straight nights and 400 people responded to the invitation and got saved. Moody couldn't understand how a church so dead could be so lively all of a sudden. Those people were dead and something changed it. And what happened was there was an 80-year-old lady, invalid widow, named Marianne Adler, who had read one of his sermons in the newspaper and had started praying every day that God would bring D.L. Moody to her church. And when God did, things changed. Prayer changes things. And one of the problems is, I'm going to talk about this on Wednesday night when we talk about the doctrine of prayer. I think sometimes we go to prayer because we want, I want God to do this, and I want God to do this. Prayer is just getting a hold of and saying, God, I need you. It's not about all these things. God, I need you. Because this is what happens a lot of times, church. I hear, I heard someone, someone was talking to me just the other day about prayer and fasting. Why well, fast? Because I need God to answer this right. That's not the purpose of fasting. Some people think, and, and I've been guilty of it too, and at times, where we have this urgent thing, or we really need God to work, so I'm going to fast so God will work now. You think it's like the little magic thing that makes the genie come out so God will say, three wishes? No, that doesn't work that way. Fasting is getting to the point to where you need God more than anything else. It's about realizing how much we need God. Prayer is not about what you are getting from God. It's about needing God. And we miss that so often. But hey, if you don't want revival continue not to pray. Just continue not to pray. And I don't know, are there any sub-points under point number two? No? Alright, let's go to point number three. Misplaced priorities. Hey, if you don't want revival to come, just continue to keep living the way you do. Misplaced priorities. You would think that God's people who are called by His name would be seeking His face, right? You would think that would be the case. But in this passage, God tells his people here that if, if you get away from me and you need revival, and if I stop the rain and if these judgments come, 
the way to get back to me is you need to humble yourself, you need to pray, you need to seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. Then it will fix those problems. So what leads us away from God is our pride, our lack of prayer, and number three, our misplaced priorities. You would think that God's people would be seeking his face. The word seek here means to search out by any method, especially by worship and prayer. The word face refers to the countenance to turn towards his direction. This little phrase of seeking his face is calling for God's people to stop looking for help and purpose in every other area of life and look to God for all of those things. You see, they are called they are called upon to make God their primary focus, make Him their primary source, make Him their priority. You see, revival doesn't come to people who seek revival. Revival comes to people who are seeking God. That's what we need today. That's what we're missing today. Far too many people get caught up in what God can do for them and not the fact that we just need to get a hold of God. We need God he wants us to love Him for who He is. He wants us to come to Him. And if we had to be real honest today, what is your number one priority in life? Now, pastor, my kids are my number one priority. Well, you're wrong. It's not a good way to live your life. God should be your priority. So, pastor, my marriage is my priority. That's good and wonderful, but God should be your number one priority. You will not be a good parent if you don't have God as your number one priority. You will not be a good husband or wife if God is not your number one priority. God should be number one in every one of our lives. Pastor, my job... Uh, really? Your job? My hobbies? My car? My house? My boat? a lot of problems there we misplace our priorities we try to find happiness in other places than finding happiness in the Lord happiness comes from the Lord and there are many Christians today that are I just want to be happy and so I'm trying this and I'm trying this and I'm trying this and I'm trying this and trying this when all you need to do is just turn back around and get back to God you can be happy we have misplaced priorities today when God's your first priority, the things He cares about are the things that we care about. If you really want to know what your number one priority in life is, let me ask you three questions to keep to yourself here. On what activity do you spend most of your time? During the week, what do you spend the most time doing? You say, Pastor, it's sleeping. We all got to sleep. Besides sleep. Eating. Well, some of us, I get it. I get it. I get how that is. You're going to be able to eat in a few minutes here. But what do you spend most of the time doing? What do you spend a majority of your money on? What do you focus your thoughts on? Priorities matter. God matters. You know, I'm a firm believer you go on vacation and things, and I know Wednesdays and other things. If you're gone on a Sunday, I would just encourage you, wherever you're at, go to church. At least in the morning. At least in the morning. Go to church. 
Don't go on vacation, get out of here, get away, do something, but don't take a vacation from God. You know, we got away for a few days this last week. I still read my Bible this last week. I still prayed. I still worked on sermons. I still did all of those things. Because I might get a little break from certain things in my life, but I need Him all the time and every moment of my life. But if you don't want revival, just keep doing life the way you do it. Pride. Lack of prayer, misplaced priorities, and then finally, number four, just keep sinning. Live in your sin. Hey, you don't want revival? You don't want God to heal our land? Then here's the recipe. Have pride. Don't pray. Keep living your life the way you want to and misplace your priorities, and then keep sinning. There you go. You want to hinder God's blessing? That's how you do it right there. But sin, the Bible says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. God's people are told to turn from their wicked ways. That means, and that word turn, that's where we get the word repentance from. When you get saved, you turn, you turn from what you believed in and you turn to Jesus Christ. God's telling his people here, you need to turn from your sin and turn back to me. Because let's be honest, when we're sinning, are we even thinking about God? No. We're consumed by that sin. We're consumed with those thoughts and those actions. And God says, you want revival? You need to humble yourself. You need to pray. You need to seek my face. And you need to turn from your wicked ways. Too many Christians love their sin too much to turn from their wicked ways. It's a major problem today. And I know there are many people that say, I'm saved and some things I do don't matter. No, the way you live does matter. It does matter. It doesn't save you. It doesn't get you any closer to God. But we are called to sanctification. We are called to be different than this world. We're called to be a peculiar people. We're called to be holy today. The Bible says those things. Do we want revival? then we need to turn back to God and away from our sin. I've not given up hope on our country. Now you might turn on the news and it might look like it's time to give up hope, but I haven't given up hope because there's a God in heaven. But unless God's people humble themselves and pray and seek his face and we turn from our wicked ways, it's never going to happen. And the sad thing is most Christians know that and they're not willing to do anything about it. And that's why we're in the state that we're in today. The world's always been crazy. It always has been. It always will be. You know what's really changed in the past 30, 40, 50 years? The church. The church has changed. We preach what everyone wants to hear instead of preaching what this book says. And I don't know if you realize, but righteousness exalts a nation. Sin's a reproach to any people. We've got to get back to the book. Now I just urge you, 
If you love your country and you want to see God work here, humble yourself. Pray. Seek his face. Turn from your wicked ways. And then God will hear. That's what the scripture says. Father, we thank you.